Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 31 through 36. And this is uh, picking up the story of the Israelites having come out of uh, slavery in Egypt. And uh, while they are in the wilderness, thinking there is no food, God provides food for them, uh, bread for them to eat uh, every day. We read about that last week. We'll pick up the story in verse 31. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray this morning that you would uh, give us ears to hear your word. Lord, that you would continue to shape us by your word and by your spirit. Lord, that we would uh, be made more and more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border, the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Now you know. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 uh, through 56. This is immediately following the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And she has just said, I am the Lord's servant, may your word be. To me be fulfilled. And then pick this up in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, The baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, this uh, morning we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very end of that and the very start of uh, chapter 2. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 2, 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, this is a passage that's being written by Paul to this uh, church in Corinth. Uh, this is a church that Paul himself had started and has now been away and has heard that there are some problems. And again, this is the problems of uh, what it's like when you are trying to uh, follow Jesus and be shaped by him and by his word and by his spirit, and uh, yet you're also being um, pressured by the surrounding culture to be formed in other ways. I don't know if any of you know what that might be like, but that's where the Corinthians were. <laughs> uh, we have this uh, church in Corinth um, being formed and shaped by Christ, but also <clears throat> with the pressures of the world surrounding them uh, that were living quite in opposition to God. And, uh, and so what we've already looked at is, um, is not only how Paul has addressed them as this church, but has also is appealing to them for unity and saying that what we have in common in Christ is greater than the, uh, the reasons we may have to divide. And so uh, he's talked about that with the way that people divide over the various leaders. Oh, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Paul. And he's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> this, I wasn't baptized. For, like, I, I didn't get... No, this is... Uh, I wasn't crucified for you. Uh, you weren't baptized in my name. It's all about Jesus, right? That's what it always comes back to. And then what we looked at last week was how the, uh, the message of the cross... And how he's saying, yeah, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so he goes on to say that this is what we preach. What we preach is Christ crucified. And so um, <laughs> uh, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. So that's where uh, we kind of left off with this last week is the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ and what that message means for us and how that is uh, what gives us identity as uh, the people of God and what uh, gives us unity with all who call on the name of Christ. Now, moving on to verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. All right. So what's the message? What is it that Paul is saying to this church in Corinth? 
Well, first of all, how'd you like, how'd you like how he addresses them? Isn't that fun? Where he says, brothers and sisters, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. The weak things of this world to shame the strong. The uh, lowly things of the world, despised things. That's, he's talking about them. He's talking about the people of the church in Corinth. And he's like, hey, uh, you guys know how you, um, you're not very wise and you're not very influential and you're not uh, of noble birth, but you're actually kind of foolish and weak and lowly and despised. <laughs> uh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> right? This is making good connection with his audience here, right? No, this is... This is also part of why we had to read the end of chapter one and the start of chapter two together, because uh, what he's saying to the church in Corinth is uh, who you were when you were called. You were not called because you deserved to be called. And I really want to make sure that you understand that. And so what happens is you don't get your identity in Christ and say, I am I, I'm a child of God. This is amazing that that we could be called the children of God. This is incredible. And then go out and look down on everybody who doesn't have that and go, oh, well, too bad for you. I'm somebody special. And it's like, whoa, what was that? So Paul's like, no, no, you think back. You were not called because you deserved it. In fact, you know, this is how God has worked all the way through. He's constantly picking the people that we wouldn't pick. That, you know, we looked at our, um, our prayer of confession today and it says, God of wisdom, we do not see as you see, we look at others and make judgments. We look at the outward appearance, but you look at the heart. Well, what's this in reference to? You remember when David is chosen as king? Very different than when Saul was chosen as king, isn't it? When Saul was chosen as king, just as a reminder here, here's how this went. When Saul's chosen as first king of Israel, uh, he's chosen by the people because he's tall and looks like he might be a good fighter. Like that's the thing. He stands a head taller than everybody else. That's who we want. What are they looking at? Are they looking at his character? Are they looking at his heart? No. They're looking at his outward appearance and go, that guy looks like a king. Let's make him king. And then we get the next king who is uh, David, and the way that he's chosen is a little different, isn't it? Instead, you have God taking the prophet Samuel and going to this particular uh, town and to particular family and going to all the sons in this family, and he just keeps on going down the line. And he sees the first one, even Samuel, the prophet, is like, that guy kind of looks like a king. And God's like, no, not him. <laughs> and you keep on going down the line until finally you get to David, who's not even there because nobody even considered him as a possibility. Oh, he's the one out keeping the sheep. Right? This is... Why would anybody pick David? Because God does, doesn't look at what everybody else is looking at. And so this is, the, um, this is what we see here. Paul is reminding the church in Corinth, God does not choose people the way that we choose people. He doesn't pick people because uh, they deserve it. He just, he chooses. You look at Moses, oh my goodness. Would anybody here pick Moses to be the one to bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt? You go, oh, of course I would. I know all kinds of th reasons why that might be good. In retrospect, I don't mean, you know, looking back on it now, would you pick him? I mean, if you were there in real time and you're like, okay, we need somebody who's going to be able to lead the people out of Egypt. Let's see. Ooh, what about that fugitive who's on the run for murder? Not falsely accused, by the way, but who actually did it. That guy, what if we bring him back? 
what? This doesn't make any sense. And yet, you look back on it and you go, oh, actually, that does make a lot of sense. <laughs> he is somebody who actually, okay, I see how, why God was doing what he's doing. But the way that God is choosing people is not based on um, them having done something where they then deserve to be chosen. You know, you don't have <laughs> um, Moses in that position going, yeah, that's right. This is, this is what I have earned through my previous resume. Not even close. God calls him to go to, the, uh, to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses is like, you got the wrong guy. Like Moses understands that I do not deserve to be the one to do that. I don't have what it takes to go do that. And this is exactly the position of every Christian, by the way. That we are called to do things we don't deserve to do. We are called to be people that we don't deserve to be. And so this is what Paul is reminding uh, the church in Corinth. That they've gotten, they've started getting all divided up because they start seeing, well, we're better than those people over there. We're better than those. And Paul's like, stop it. Remember, when you were called, you weren't called because you were better than anybody else. In fact, need I remind you, kind of bottom of the barrel here, aren't we? <laughs> At which point, you got two options. One, you get all defensive and go, how dare you, Paul? <laughs> or the other is you take an honest look in the mirror and go, you know what? He's right. He's right. This is who we were. But this is, what, again, why I say we read the end of chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2 together. Because Paul is not doing the thing you know, where he's just pointing at everybody else and saying, this, this is who you were. Meanwhile, I had it all together. Not at all. Start of chapter 2. What was it? He says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. <laughs> uh, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Are you hearing this? So when he talks about himself, he's not saying, you guys were all you know, not deserving of anything, but I was very deserving. And in fact, this is why I'm so awesome at what I do. No, he says, you know, like we're not fooling each other here. I see who you are. You see who I am. And you know that everything that I have to offer is just Jesus. That's it. That is my message. That is my life. That is it. This is why he said in the, uh, in, earlier in chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. This is our message. This is why he's talking about the unity, the unity that we have is greater than uh, that that divides us because the unity that we have is Christ. And that ought to be our everything. And he says, yeah, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so, sure, not everybody's going to recognize the, uh, the message of the cross, of Jesus who uh, lays down his life in love for us. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. But to us who are being saved, we talked about this some last week at that uh, difference of perspective inside, outside. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like we understand if we have had our lives changed by Jesus, then we don't look at that and go, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. We go, make sense or not, that's changed my life. Um, 
This has given me a new identity. This gives me a new uh, purpose. This gives me a new vision. This gives me new power to live differently than I ever lived before. This is what Paul just keeps coming back to. And so when he's talking to the uh, church in Corinth and he's saying, uh, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, et cetera, et cetera. He's not, he's not like roasting them like an insult comic. That's not the point. He's not trying to make them feel bad about themselves. He's trying to remind them that what they have to boast about is not themselves. No more boasting about yourself. No more bragging about uh, who you are or what you've done. Or, no. He says, you want to boast about anything, here's where, here's where we boast. It's in Jesus. That's our boast. We boast about who Jesus is. We boast about what he has done for us and for the world. And that's what we just keep being on about. Uh, this is actually a quote from Jeremiah 9 when he says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And that's where uh, Jeremiah says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast, boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about me, that they have understanding to know that I am the Lord who delights in uh, kindness, justice, and righteousness, declares the Lord. You hear this? Think about the things that he's saying don't boast in. Wisdom, riches, Strength? Is that not exactly what we do in the worldly ways today? We boast about exactly those things. Well, who are the wise people that we should be following? Who are the the rich people that we ought to be paying attention to? Who are the uh, strong and powerful people that we ought to be uh, aligning ourselves with? And the message is, you could do that, but that's the way of the world. That is the way of the world that looks wise in the eyes of the world, and it's not. It's foolishness. Instead, what is it we're supposed to be boasting about? We're supposed to be boasting in the Lord, right? That we have the knowledge to uh, understand and to know him, that he is the one who delights in kindness and justice and righteousness. And it is because of this that we see Jesus giving himself for us. This is a very different way of uh, understanding wisdom. It's a very different way of understanding strength and power. Very different understanding of riches. Very different understanding of everything. But this is uh, the message that Paul has for the church in Corinth. And here's what's really cool about this also. Paul is not uh, writing this to the culture of Corinth. This whole letter is written to the church in Corinth. Do you understand the difference? (laughs) Paul is writing to the people who have already identified themselves as the people of God in Christ, who have had their lives changed and shaped by Jesus, by his death for them, who have uh, the power of his spirit in their lives. And yet... As we mentioned before, like uh, Peter walking on the water, they sometimes get distracted. They look at the cultural winds and the waves, and they take their eyes off of Jesus, and they start to fall. 
and they start to do things that are normal for the world, you know, like sinking in the water instead of walking on top of it. And Paul is reminding them, but you're not of the world anymore. If you are of uh, Christ, this means something different for you. But don't think that this gives you reason to look down on anybody. Don't think it gives you a reason to boast about, well, God picked me because I'm somehow awesomer than other people. But instead, we boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In fact, uh, in 2 Corinthians, here's how Paul puts this in his next letter when uh, he's talking to the same church, but later. And he talks about having uh, a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that means, but a thorn in his flesh. And the reason he says he has it is in order to keep me from becoming conceited. Even Paul had apparently the uh, temptation to become conceited. But it says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he concludes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I think this is the key to what he's talking about uh, and what we're looking at today is when we try to exalt ourselves, where is the room for Christ to shine? But when we are honest about who we are and our own weaknesses, where is the room for Christ to shine, right? When we have the people uh, of Corinth who are fighting with each other about which Christian leader they follow, and thinking that because I follow so-and-so, that makes me better than this other group where they follow so-and-so. As long as they're doing that, they're following the ways of the world. And Christ is not being honored nor glorified in their lives. What Paul is saying instead is, remember who you are. Remember who you were when you were called. And remember that you are now a new creation in Christ. Not that you would look down on others, but that you would be honest about who you are and that you would be pointing people in every part of your life to Jesus, to Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected for you, for me, for the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.